Hello and welcome to the Ready for Polyamory podcast. As always, my name is Laura Boyle and I am your host. I am really happy to be here to bring you season two of the podcast. It is wonderful to be back for a second season. And as always, you can visit us at the blog at www.readyforpolyamory.com. So, uh, before we get started with today's episode, I'd like to note that today's episode was actually supposed to be the end of the first season, but due to a series of increasingly frustrating computer malfunctions, we lost the original recording of this episode where Kimoto Tiger Lily and I discuss uh, ethical non-monogamy, forms of ethical non-monogamy that aren't polyamory, uh, polyamory as a catch-all term for various forms of ethical non-monogamy, and what that kind of means for different communities, including the polyamorous community. So, that being said, welcome to Season 2, Episode 1, the redo of that episode. So, as you may remember from Season 1, or you may not, uh, Kimoto Tiger Lily, my guest today, is a polyamorist of several years who uh, has sort of journeyed through several forms of ethical non-monogamy to land at a form of polyamory that identifies heavily with demisexual and borderline relationship anarchist views, although she doesn't like that latter term for herself, and we'll discuss why later in the podcast, so keep listening and you'll hear about it. Anyway, I hope you enjoy today's episode very much, and you can find links to all of her ongoing projects in the show notes below, as well as on her guest page, if you're listening to this from our podcast's page itself, rather than from Apple or Stitcher or Google Podcasts or any of the many other podcast uh, listening uh, options that mirror from those. So, here we go. Uh, ethical non-monogamy, polyamory, and why polyamory as a catch-all is an interesting term. We're going to talk about forms of ethical non-monogamy that aren't polyamory and the way that uh, polyamory in the sort of public understanding and discourse gets used as a catch-all for different forms of ethical non-monogamy. I have, I have my notes from last time too, so it works. <laughs> cool. 
so I didn't save all of my notes, so we can go in whatever order. But basically, if we're going to define polyamory, for me, that's somewhere in the range of the subset of ethical non-monogamy where uh, the building of romantic relationships is not just allowed, but actively encouraged. Mm -hmm. I guess you can also include the ones where it's just allowed and tolerated, but that seems a little disingenuous uh, if you want to get out to the fringe cases. For you, uh, how would you define polyamory? Um, polyamory is the ability to explore a dynamic fully um i i feel it's romantic based is the best way to put it it doesn't have to be sex based which is why you can have asexuals that are polyamorous um and i think that's a huge huge thing to note and Honestly, and, and this sometimes rattles people, is you can be sexually monogamous and polyamorous because it's really about having multiple relationships um, that are emotionally bonded. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it, it's about um, being emotionally close with multiple people, not just one person you deem to be a significant other. And I've known, you know, monogamously married people who have best friend circles that are male or female or envy. So it doesn't, I, I feel polyamory allows you to explore emotional uh, relationships and bonds mm -hmm. in, a, in a more fulfilling way. Then they may or may not include sex, but that depends on the relationship. And so if we're defining ethical non-monogamy more broadly, you can include not only those relationships, but also uh, on the sort of more sexual end of the spectrum, things like swinging, uh, Dan Savage's monogamish relationships, sort of down toward the monogamous end of the spectrum, but still in ethical non-monogamy. Uh, and on the... I guess polyamory covers most of the, or pretty much all of the getting more emotional, the less sexual end of the spectrum. So you're sort of going from monogamish all the way to uh, the deep ace end of polyamory. Yeah, yeah. Um, absolutely. And... And I feel those distinctions are so important. Uh, I feel that if you're a swinger, identify as that. Identify as I'm really not interested in knowing you closely at an emotional level. I'm interested in meeting up with you. It could be random. It could be once a month. It could be once a week. And like whatever it is, the swingers I've known who are like, you know, I wish this person well. I keep in contact with them. But there's not really like a... a a deep romantic relationship. It's you know, we'll meet, we'll bang it out, and that's that. Mm -hmm. um, and I and I feel it's very important to 
have more labels in this umbrella. I feel that there's this, this problem we're having is we've got swingers on one end and polyamory on the other, and we don't have enough labels for how people are operating in the middle. And I feel that, I, I think that we'll create them over the years, but the okay. don't have them right now, I think is part of what leads people to say they're polyamorous when they're swingers or they're polyamorous when they're fuck boys. Um, because it's the pretty word, you know, ethical non-monogamy, it's too clinical or consensual non-monogamy. It's so clinical and it, it's not romantic. It's not cool sounding, but polyamorous and poly, ah, that just sounds super pretty. So, so people throw that word out, Hey, I'm poly. And I've seen a lot of hurt come along because they don't, know how to better describe how they operate or they don't want to it's okay um, i think some of it's that and as you said sometimes people don't want to there's this like there's the dating site dude i hate to gender it but it seems like it's often pretty gendered uh trend of the person who like throws Polly in their profile as a like flag but then it's like actually I'm looking for a discreet arrangement yes. <laughs> yes yeah oh yeah not only not only have I seen that where I, I, I've seen profiles where guys put that so they can cheat on their wives mm -hmm. and that makes me angry but I've also, it, so it's interesting, from, from male-fronted poly uh, profiles, I've seen either the, the owner of the profile just try to use it as just, you know, discrete stuff, or I've seen women contact them for discrete stuff. Like, where they're like, well, do we have to tell your wife? Can't you, can I just be your side chick? So it's been really interesting seeing that, like, there's still so much cheating uh, associated with polyamory in the public persona. Well, and there's so much cultural baggage where, interestingly, non-ethical non-monogamy is more accepted by a large segment of the population. Totally rocks my world. It, it makes me so angry that people would rather cheat than be honest about what they're into or what they want. And, and what's worse is like the mea culpa of it. You know, if, if I get caught, then I'm just an asshole and, you know, I'll be forgiven in a year or two. Mm -hmm. um, I think Tiger Woods is an amazing example of that where he was so professionally successful, um, had really beautiful wives, cheated on them, and it's like he went through this public shaming for that, and then a few years later was redeemed, his professional career came back, all that jazz, cheated and kind of lost it again. And it's like, well, what if he just had the conversation that he doesn't really want to be monogamous? Or what if he had that conversation with his wife and it didn't matter and, you know, the media blew it out to something else? It was just, it, it made me so mad that people were... People have that cycle. The public persona has that cycle of we need to punish you, but then like we'll forgive you 
Mm-hmm. After the next period of time. And I, but we, but we can't talk about your ability to love more than one person or the fact that you could be sexually attracted to more than one person and love may not even be in the equation anywhere. Mm-hmm. And it, I, I think it's a, a part of the conversation of how emotionally stunted so many Americans are. Um, you know, I even I grew up in that old world European. You know, the guy can fuck around, but the woman has to be super, super, super demure, um, very, very faithful, and she can't even look at another guy. But you know, a, the guy can sleep with whoever he wants. I personally am not okay with that, and uh, I, I always poke a lot of holes in those arguments growing up. And it's one of the reasons why I, I, it honestly led me to be ethically non-monogamous because. Yeah. Um, and I can go through periods of, of, of I, I think I sometimes am in the ambi, ambi, am, amory boat where, uh, you know, I, I've had so much going on personally in the last year, year and a half. It's just kind of shut me down from, mm-hmm. from people. And even though I've had some really beautiful long distance relationships and we stay in touch, I haven't really seen or had any other um close relationships and I've just been so emotionally exhausted that I haven't had so I, I'm I sort of look monogamous right now but it would be a disservice to describe myself in that way because you know next mm-hmm. month meet someone that totally takes me off my feet and and you know that's totally open and I think that's that, the, that to me is why I love polyamories because it leaves that open. It leaves the ability for it. If you meet a person and there's a connection there, you're not shamed for it. You know, in, in, in monogamous relationships, you can be with someone for 10, 15, 30 years, and then you meet somebody else. And because you get butterflies in your stomach, it's, I must not love this other person I've been with for so long, then mm-hmm. I have to be with this new person. And you throw away that relationship. And I, I find that so heartbreaking just because you felt butterflies. And that's new relationship energy. Man, you can feel it for anything. Like you could feel it when you see a puppy, honestly. I feel it all the time when I see puppies. I'm so. ADHD. I feel it every time I have a new idea, interest, or thought for about 45 seconds. <laughs> Right. So I I feel that kind of because of the emotional stuntedness of our our society, that that's part of what terrifies them from having these conversations because it requires you to work on yourself. If you want to have healthy ethical non-monogamous relationships, you have to do that self work. Get a therapist. I'm all about therapists. Please. Go do make it happen however you can. Because <laughs> um, you really have to unpack so much of your own baggage so that way you can allow yourself to be loved and find out how you receive love and what are your toxic traits that you can work on so that you can love those closest to you better. So, well, right. And so we were saying that this word polyamory is not, well, the concept polyamory isn't inherently any better than any of the other forms of ethical non-monogamy and nor is it inherently better than sort of consciously choosing to be monogamous than 
taking a minute and deciding that monogamy works best for you, for your relationship, for the partner that you're with right now. Not just sort of letting society blindly take you up the relationship escalator, but the situation of we thought about it for us, we talked it out, and this is the format that's going to work the best for us. This is what we're going to do. All of those are equal. Yes. No matter what format you land on after having those conversations. Agreed. And I, and I, I think some of the most interesting conversations I've had are the ones that I've had with monogamous people where they look at my life and they go, no, I'm really happy with this one person. And I'm like, the fact that you are now consciously making that decision is actually going to make you repeat, like, appreciate that that relationship more because now you're realizing that you're only sexually bonding to this one person that you're emotionally bonding to. Like you're making that decision and you realize that that's how you operate versus just kind of going with the flow and doing what you society says that you should do. And, and writing on that comment as well is I get really frustrated when polyamorous people are like, this is the elevated type of relationship model. No, no, it's not. There is plenty of toxicity in the polyamorous community. I've been distancing myself from it. Um, yeah, it could be just as toxic as monogamy as relationships are. So, um, Every community has its toxic members and every culture has its ways of approaching it that are not ideal. Mm-hmm. And there's no one formula that's going to work for everybody. But uh, this idea that the word polyamory is catching on and is being used as a catch-all to cover all of these other relationship forms, some of which have specific names that we apply to them already and some of which don't, is kind of interesting and in some ways is good because it unites a whole group of people under one umbrella in a way that can be good for community building, for organizing, for um, general cultural acceptance. Mm-hmm. And in another way it can be kind of challenging because it means that you get a lot of people going polyamory. Oh, no, I've heard of key parties. We don't need to do that anymore. Like, or it's the I, guy around, you know, in, in so many public polyamory, whether it's a show or an article, it's usually one guy and two women and everyone's heteronormative and uh, it's, it's a closed triad and, and, and that's kind of the public perception and they're, they're all white <clears throat> heteronormative people. And it's very frustrating because like, it's, it's like calling mayonnaise spicy. It's kind of, Right. Welcome to white, blonde, upper middle class triad making it work here on our television program. Yeah. Um, or, or, or the guy who's, or like they're going to follow, you know, a few guys and set up a dating, a dating show and they're following the, that same formula. It's let's watch these guys try to nail as many women as they can and call it polyamory. And mm-hmm. 
incredibly disheartening. And like the rare examples that you get where it isn't that are still such odd sidelines in things that are utterly unrelated to the topic. It's like the fact that in the sci-fi show The Expanse, uh, I think it's Amazon who uh, is running the new season, there's a character who it's just a weird bit of their background story is that they've got like 12 parents who are married to each other like oh okay in the future that happens now mm -hmm. um and sorry uh listeners i did a sight gag in the middle of a podcast again i like vanna whited the 12 parents uh but we either get throwaway gags that are actually kind of important because it means we've gained enough visibility that at least in nerd culture which we have a great deal of overlap with i don't know if you've realized this but i have seen all of all of the star treks and not all of all of the star wars yet i'm behind on the mandalorian um but you know all of all of the stargates so are you, are you i can't think of more sci-fi things that include star to throw in here but we'll do some fantasy that includes star i've seen stardust i've read stardust i read stardust before it was a movie like look we're big geeks and nerds here so there's a lot of overlap in these communities so communities so we've realized uh, that we need to cater to ourselves and we've started throwing in ourselves as one-liners, but we've got one-liners and we've got tabloids making shows about us. And unfortunately, when all you've got is tabloids making shows about you, you've got casting calls that read like we would either like a couple yep. who is currently seeking women yep. or we would like an enormous harem. Yes. Yes. With no more than two men involved with this enormous harem. Yep. Please and thank you. We swear we exist locally when actually we're owned by a national or multinational tabloid corporation. Mm -hmm. Have a lovely day. Yeah. I um, am throwing shade at a recent casting call directly with this. If you get the reference when this comes out, December 26th, um, please laugh with me. Uh, they're trying to make it sound local to reflect the fact that uh, recently multiple person domestic partnerships were legalized in Somerville, Mass. as a test case. That's really why it passed. <laughs> Saving them some money on their 
town insurance. I'll take whatever I can get. <laughs> whatever. But, whatever. If we can get some liberal cities to pass this before domestic partnerships no longer exist in anyone's insurance policies, um, we'll take it. Uh, also, look out later this season for my extremely geeky but interesting conversation with Ken Briota about how hypothetically if we could get someone to propose such a bill a bill would travel through our legal system uh, rewriting marriage as a contract between a greater than two number of people Why uh, but we'll Let's we'll see if anyone actually listens to that all the way through because it's going to be long, it's going to be dry, and it's going to be technical. Fascinating, but long, dry, and technical. Think the West Wing minus Sam Seaborn. <laughs> so polyamory being this catch-all means that we get all of these like horrific st like stereotypes of the swinging community of the the tabloids dreamed this up and only one person does it in real life i don't even know one person who has like nine straight or bi female partners and is a cis male person but if you know them tell them to email me so that I can say that I know them for <laughs> this example later. And uh, it becomes a buzzword. So we're a great hashtag now. Yeah. But, uh, and we're an okay organizing tool. We are a less useful, like cohesive community and we end up with intercommunity squabble. Yes. There's a lot of like pollier than thou fighting within the community as a result of this. Yeah. And and a little bit of that has to do with the introduction of relationship anarchy. And then you get some people who and this is I believe that you can do relationship anarchy in a healthy way. I personally have not seen it. I have typically seen relationship anarchy used as a tool to be inconsiderate and selfish. So the relationship anarchists who use it to be selfish are the same guys who put Polly in their dating, the same quality of guy mm -hmm. who put Polly in their bio when what they're doing is cheating are the next level of that is the poly guy who puts relationship anarchist in his bio yes. when he has no idea what the term means. Uh, he thinks it means never has to answer anyone's need ever in my life, but will have all of mine met for all time. Uh, and what it actually means is basically how Kelly defined polyamory. It means taking the definitions out of what different relationships mean. It means taking down society, societally imposed definitions and hierarchies between friendships, 
romantic relationships, familial relationships, putting them all on one level with one another, removing governmental oversight from any of them, and imposing only one's own oversight over any of them. Individual agreements with each person that you're in any form of relationship with over what that relationship will look like. So it could mean that your relationship with one best friend looks different from the other best friend. Mm -hmm. You use the term best friend for both of them because it's the term they'd prefer in both of them and you don't mind it. You could have a third friend who doesn't like the term best friend that much but has exactly the same agreements as one of the two best friends and you could have a fourth person who has an entirely separate set of agreements likes to call themselves your best friend but you don't really like that term for them and so you talk them down to a different term yes yes but from the outside It might look like one of those is your boyfriend, one of those is your husband, one of them is your best friend, and the last one has been your lover for the last 15 years. Yes. Right? (laughs) That's it. That's all of it. That's the entire podcast right there. And you'd go, yeah, they're all my best friend. Yeah. Just in different ways. Just, there's different... And I... So... has has such an ability to connect and and we are such an emotionally starved society we are dying to connect with each other and we are terrified of doing it at the same time um there i think there's just so much generational trauma from the creation of the nuclear family meaning we've split up generational family households which was such a stupid idea and it lasted for such a short time so like and the thing is though is that 70 years is still enough to where we don't so many people still don't have that 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 memory of what it's like. And that's why we still I mean, I was watching something the other day and they were making fun of a guy living with his parents, you know, who does that. I'm like, most people in the world live with their family. Like it's it's common for that to happen. And I, I it's funny because I know so many older men who they're like, yeah, I live with my mom. I bought the house that she, you know, I bought the house that we live in and she lives with me. If you want to be technical about it, it's not, you know, I'm living with my mom and it's her house. It's, I bought the house. This is my mortgage or, you know, it's free and clear. And my mm-hmm. mom lives with me because she took care of me for the first 20 years of my life. So now I'm going to so take care of her. Yeah. Right. Um, I, I feel it is so important to have, and I actually brought this up on a recent post, um, on the nuclear family and I was kind of railing on it and the damage it's done generationally and, and a monogamous friend I have was like, so what, what does this look like to you? And I said, to me, it boils down to community. I feel having multiple generations is really helpful because I think a lot of humans are typically more aggressive up until their mid thirties. So when you have your grandparents there, they've already been through the shit show of raising you when you were a pain in the ass kid or a pain in the ass teenager. Like they've been there. So when you're stressed because you were working 40 hours a week or 60 or 80 and you are at your wit's end, your parent can take over and go, you know what? You go to the room. I got the munchkin tonight. Or you can spread load raising kids. 
you can, and then I feel for me, polyamory has done that same thing where I've had such good friends and we've all helped raise each other's kids. And, you know, if we're having a bad day, it's, I need to tap out. I'm going to lose my mind. So I feel that polyamory has created such close close-knit connections that it almost mimics that you know small community that small family mm-hmm. generational thing and I I'm personally very grateful for that um I I think that's part of the beauty of it is it just allows so much and I and I think one of my other favorite things about polyamory is it's really allowed men in my life who were they they were definitely ingrained by a lot of toxic masculinity and once they got into polyamory they started recognizing those toxic traits and getting away from them and addressing them and it allowed them to form more vulnerable relationships with men mm-hmm. and to see how they grew and 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 loved more because of those relationships is really important because again polyamory doesn't have to mean sex Mm-hmm. It doesn't even have to mean that you're going to kiss someone or, you know, be romantic. It can just mean that you have a close bond. You can be polyamorous with your best friend and non-sexual. And um, I think that's the biggest thing I would wish that people would understand from a public perspective is polyamory is not sex-based and it's not even entirely romantic-based. It's emotional bonding. And however you carry that out is up to you and wherever that goes, that's on you. Um, but for me, I, I feel it's, it's really allowing love to bloom and not feel bad about it. Because th- think about how many people in our society feel shamed if they feel love for the same sex. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love you. Well, does that mean that I'm sexually attracted to you? Does that mean... And people go through this whole thing where they eat themselves up instead of just going, oh, I attach to this person. Right. It removes yeah. a whole layer of that yeah. from the equation. Yep. Do you think there are any requirements for polyamory? Any prerequisites? Um, For me, it's integrity-based. Respect, consideration, and communication. It's... I, I think you definitely have to have a willingness to work on yourself and if you're willing to work on on your traits both negative and positive then it allows you to really open up with other people and that leads to like really really amazing communication so my significant other and I we've been together for uh, just celebrated our, our two-year anniversary and it's quite fantastic and it's really nice having a relationship again where just asking for basic communication and it in a previous relationship it was so frustrating for me because I was like I'm literally asking for the bare minimum that you would get in a monogamous relationship you know respect communication consideration and I feel that in polyamory those are so crucial like you have to communicate um Partially because there are so many people that use it as such a weapon Mm -hmm. that you like, it takes you a while to figure out what type of person this is. Mm -hmm. And 
And it's, trust is so crucial to the foundation of, of ethical non-monogamy. Mm-hmm. Wherever you are in that spectrum, that knowing that you can talk to the person that you're with and that they will listen to you and receive you and that you can have a really healthy dialogue and figure out whatever middle ground needs to happen, if there is one, mm-hmm. um, is so amazing. So I, I feel some of the best parts about polyamory are that they help. I think so many people in this community are so therapy like based. Like so many of us are like, get a therapist, please get a therapist. Here's some self-help books that'll help you, but like also get a therapist. And I, I, I love how there are so many people that are like, you really got to work on yourself first before you can extend that web. And I really love the work that people do to be healthy in polyamory. Mm-hmm. And it really is just respect, consideration, and communication is, I mean, it work, it's a foundation for any relationship, but I think it is so crucial in non-monogamy. Right. Yeah. There's no, there's no way around it. So, Thank you once again to the lovely and talented Kimota Tiger Lily, whose details you can find in the show notes, as well as links to some of her recent projects. Uh, You can find our blog at www.readyforpolyamory.com, the Patreon if you'd like to become a subscriber and support the blog and podcast at patreon.com slash readyforpolyamory. If you'd like to leave a one-time tip, our Ko-Fi is at ko-fi.com slash ready for polyamory. And this season, we have some big, exciting things coming up. We've got topics practical, like next week's talk with Dr. Liz Powell uh, about hierarchy, descriptive hierarchies, prescriptive hierarchies, sneaky argies and the differences between them uh, and how they can apply to you and your relationships and polycules and the hypotheticals like the one I talked about uh, that I'm going to record with Ken Briota for later this season and sort of uh, in between the analysis kind of topics. We've got a round table coming up for the first time where we're going to have a five-way discussion on certain kinds of boundaries and how to apply them in a practical way in uh, both your individual polyamorous relationships and within a polycule and a whole bunch of other really exciting things coming up for you over the next 11 weeks. So, since I'll see you again uh, in the new year, we're going to say have a good week and happy new year. Goodbye and good night. (laughs) 